Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 2? I'm Darren. I am one of the pastors here, at least for now. Um, let's see how this goes. Uh, we're super grateful that you're here. Um, it's been a good day already. Mark chapter 2. I know we took a break last week from Mark because we had Alex Matala here, but that dude was just spitting wisdom, just spitting it. It was good stuff, but we're back in Mark so that Jesus can spit some wisdom this week. Uh, verse 18, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Reasonable question. And Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them. When I hear Western uh, people question whether or not Jesus claimed to be God, let me tell you who's not questioning that. Jewish people, Pharisees. There's a 100% claim of God right here. The bridegroom, I'm the husband. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Ezekiel, Jehovah. I'm God, I'm the bridegroom. Jesus didn't get killed by being, you know, nice. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were angry about this. So how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast, speaking of the time when Jesus is going to be crucified. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth to an old Garment, of course, in our modern environment, we just go buy another shirt. That's, they sell them for like five dollars at TJ Maxx. But in those days, they would sew you know patches on them. So no one's going to take a brand new patch and put it on this old one because it'll stretch and it, it won't work. It'll, the hole will stay there. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear even worse. In verse twenty-two, and no one pours new wine into old wine skins. This very famous passage of Jesus' words. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wine skins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wine skins. Let's pray. That's God's word, Heavenly Father. We're so thankful for your word. And in a dark world, your word is a light. In a dark world, your word is a lamp for our path. Moving forward in the world, it's hard to know. It's dark, but if we had a light, if we had a lamp, and we do, it's your word. You're supernatural. You're inspired. You're inerrant. You're perfect word that was given to us, and we're thankful for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus... He's being asked about fasting, and he starts talking about a wedding, right? This is a classic Jesus move here. They didn't ask him about a wedding. They asked him about fasting, and he's like, well, here, because the bridegroom is here. He starts talking literally about a wedding, and as this unfolds, I think, and Bud, you could tell me if I'm wrong. I probably should have had you come first service, and you could come tell me later if I was wrong. I think that this 18 through, Bud's a Bible scholar, man. Dude's forgotten more about the Bible than I know. In the 18 through 22, I think this isn't three little separate vignettes of, of little pictures. I think he's describing a wedding. 
the feast. We're not fasting because there's a feast. There's a celebration of this, this imagery of, the, of a wedding that we're seeing here. And in that imagery is the festivity of a wedding, which is the, the wine, new wine. We don't get out the old cheap two-buck chuck for the wedding. We bring the new stuff. And the garment, the new garment, not the old one. I, I, you know, I've been to a few weddings. Um, in fact, is Audrey in here? Audrey Coffin, where's Cody? I was told that when I was doing their wedding that I wouldn't have to dress up. That was a 100% promise. And then my wife wouldn't let me. I still had to wear a suit to that one because it's a wedding and I'm trying to look presentable. But the point is there's a new garment at the wedding, not the old one, not my favorite fishing shirt. Not at a wedding. I think that the new garment, the, the new wine, the feast is the imagery of a wedding about the festivity of, of a wedding and the pageantry of a wedding. That's what Jesus is describing here, and we're going to dig into that as we go. There was an article this week um, in the Wall Street Journal that was talking about the math behind a marriage, a relationship. I'm sorry, it's modern. We can't say marriage. It's a relationship. They're, they're doing the math on this, right? Because in Jesus, by the way, the Pharisees are all about math, I'm doing the math on the imagers who are under the imagery of a marriage here. I'm doing the math on this. I'm counting out my salt. I'm doing all the good things. I'm fasting. I'm earning. I'm putting in these buttons, and out comes this. And what these guys are saying, it's a psychologist and a mathematician walk into a bar. Doesn't that sound like a joke? <laughs> and this is what they come out with is that marriage is a math, that a relationship is math. And wouldn't it be so lucky and easy if that were true? Every guy in here that's been married for any length of time is thinking, man, if I could just push in the buttons and, and make this calculation and I get this response, that would well, be amazing, right? <laughs> but it isn't how it works. That's, it's not math. The Pharisees are wanting math, and Jesus is saying it's marriage. I want math to say if I do X, Y, and Z, but you know as well as I do that, you, here's the thing, that sounds good on paper until you realize that math is a robot. And that's not what he created. He created humans with the ability to choose, the ability to surprise, the ability, it's love is not math. As much as these guys, they're doing the algorithms and all this, I love it, about, you get about halfway down the article and one of the things they acknowledge is that eh, most of these calculations didn't really pan out, but we tried... <laughs> The imagery of this wedding that Jesus is talking about, that I am the bridegroom. The Pharisees, by the way, I think they were probably ticked for a few reasons, one of which he refers to them as the guests of the wedding. The guests don't. They thought they were the bride at the wedding. He's like, why are you, why are you, even you shouldn't be fasting. You're the, you're the guest of this wedding. And they're like, Wait, guests? We're not the guests. We're the bride. We're, and if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, go to Jeremiah chapter 2. Because this idea of a wedding, Jesus didn't just make it up. He's pulling on imagery that is literally throughout the Old Testament, throughout the prophecies. And this imagery of a wedding is generally speaking, it is Jehovah, it's God, to an unfaithful spouse, which is in case you're wondering who we are in this metaphor, us. But here's, here's one example of this, and, and this is just Jeremiah. You can find this, well, the entire book of Hosea. How about you just go there? The whole book is that. 
But I'm just going to do a flyover here of Jeremiah 2 and 3. So get ready to, to jump with me. But this is God speaking to Israel. And he says, uh, let's say verse 23. How can you say, I am not defiled? Speaking in words of like, I've been unfaithful to you. That I have not run after Baals, other gods. That's the unfaithfulness. But you said, let's say verse 25, towards halfway through that verse. But you said, it's no use. I love foreign gods. I must go after them. That's something our culture is big on right now. I can't help it. That's just how I am. I'm just, I can't, I can't. So I'm going after these. That, that's not new, by the way. That's been around since humanity. Uh, go to the next, uh, verse 32. Does a young woman forget her jewelry, the imagery of a wedding here, of a marriage? Does a bride, her wedding ornaments, does she forget those things? No. Yet my people have forgotten me. Days without number. And by the way, we're going to come back to this, but notice what he's saying. He's, he is the wedding ornaments. He is the dress. Does she forget her dress? He, but this is Jesus. This is powerful stuff. But you've forgotten me. He's about to say that I am your righteousness. Verse 33. How skilled you are at pursuing love. This is Bible speak for, well, it's, he's not being nice. Even the worst of women can learn from your ways. Verse 1 of chapter 3 if a man divorces his wife and she leaves him and marries another man, should he return to her again? This is a rhetorical question, but she's been unfaithful and she goes out and she's with some other guy now. Should I bring her back? Would that land not be completely defiled? And here's what I love about God. He never leaves a rhetorical question unanswered. <laughs> return, verse uh, 11 of chapter three. Would, would he take her back? Should he take her back? Yes. Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am faithful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. Just say, come back to me. I'm, I'm welcoming you home. You've rebelled against the Lord your God. You've scattered your favors to foreign gods. You understand he's not just calling them on. He's, you've done all this, and I still want you back. If you don't hear anything else this morning, hear that. I don't care. Come home. And then verse 14, return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband, and I choose you. That's such a promise that many of us, even in this world right now, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I, I really prayed about, should we even talk about marriage? And some of you that are older, you're thinking, did you ever think of a time when you would have thought that marriage was controversial? Like that that was a controversial topic? But, but here we are. And the, and the thing is, is that why it's uncomfortable is that in our culture, it's it's uncomfortable because in our culture we have this definition of marriage that is, is um, shall we say, broadened a bit. But do I let the culture interpret the Bible or do I let the Bible inform the culture? Now, for some of you, you're going to say, well, it's the culture, but I have to ask really just one question, which culture? Because in West Africa... I've been there. David Christopher, I thought I saw him in there somewhere, has been with me to West Africa. And we went to our village there. And Jesus was doing amazing things. And we met men in the village. And then I met their wife. And then I met the other wife. And then I met the third wife. And it's like, oh, oh wait, what? 
So their culture says that it's a man with multiple wives, that that's the culture. And so should the Bible say that that's it? And let me tell you the sadness about that is that in that culture, their young children, I'm saying young, like three, four years old, okay, out there in the fields, working, bent over, planting seeds, because one man can't provide for three women and 20 children, so they're all working. It means they can't go to school. It means that they're not going to, one of the biggest challenges of starting a school in West Africa was the parents didn't want them to go, because how am I going to feed them if they're not helping us work? So it is that culture inform what my definition of marriage is? Or do I go to Haiti and say, in Haiti that, and if you've been with us there, you know that one of the secrets of Haiti is that 50, over, well over 50% of the children in orphanages have a parent. They just can't provide for them. Because by the time, and there are kids in our school down there, there's one lady in particular, she's this beautiful woman, just amazing. She is probably by this point 29. She has eight kids by five men. She's not a loose woman. Hear me say that. That's not her. But the culture there is that a man loves him and leaves him. And so he comes along, he, he falls in love, and so she thinks, she's like, finally, somebody can help me and take care of me and take care of, because my culture with, I can't take care of myself, and he leaves her with a parting gift, and they give him a name, and then he moves on. So in that culture, Marriage is being defined as not at all. And by the way, one of the things we've done there is we've brought celebration, festivity, to weddings. Because what is celebrated will be emulated. So we've, we've shipped down wedding dresses. We've, they make cakes. It's a party. Because we want that to be known that that's, that's actually a good thing. And, I, and I, I could go on. I could go to each country, Russia, Afghanistan, whose culture gets to say what marriage is. I think it was C.S. Lewis that says, any, the only, if you're, it's eternal, the only thing that's eternal is, I'm blowing a C.S. Lewis quote. It was a good one. Um, it was, I swear you, it was really good. Um, if I'm going to say that what my opinion is right now, the, the word of God doesn't go out of style. It just doesn't through cultures throughout the world, throughout history, that the idea of a masculine and a feminine coming together complement each other. Do you know that God is not male nor female, but inside of God is El Shaddai, the breasted one, the mother, the maternal mama bear picture of God. Side by side with Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the strength that the masculine and feminine coming together is actually a picture in the scripture that is actually the way that man works best. And look, some of you are saying, Man, I, Darren, I don't, ugh, I'm 20, I got, I got stuff I want to do. Some of you are even thinking, look, I've been married now for 15, 20 years, what have I missed out on? And there was an episode of This American Life just this past week. I, I phrase it, I, I listened to it last week, but it's actually from there. This is their Valentine's version. Has anybody listened to This American Life? Okay, my liberals out there, okay. Uh, <laughs> I love, I've been listening to that show forever. <laughs> It's, I host Ira Glass. And so if, if any of you have heard this, you know what the story is. But the story is of this young man who's 30 years old and his young girlfriend who's 30, and they've been living together for seven, eight years, and they're talking about getting married now. But they're thinking, I'm 30. I've never been with anybody else. Maybe I should go out and figure, do other things and be with other people. And so they had this idea of a relational rumspringa. 
Do you know Rumspringer? Any of my Amish people? Uh, so in the Amish community, Becca, I'm about to blow your mind. In the Amish community, when you turn 17 or 18 years old, they say, go do whatever you want for two years, smoke, drink, cocaine, women, booze, whatever. And then when you're done with the two years, you make a decision whether you want to come back to Amish religion. That's, that's Rumspringer. So what these 30-year-old young people did was, hey, we want to give ourselves a 30-day Rumspringer in our relationship. This is a true story. It's a fascinating because it's so sad. Because what happens is, first of all, he's totally surprised. His name is Kurt. The, the girlfriend didn't want to appear on the show for some reason. Um, he, he talks about the story of like, I, I've started, I'd never been with anybody else and I was surprised at how easy it was. He said that one of the things you can do to make sure you can find somebody to be with every night is to, there were two things he said. A, stay to the club until four in the morning and two, dramatically lower your standards. And so, but what he said was that I had these relationships with these women. I decided, these are his rules, right? That but, but it can't be a relationship. It can only be sex. And so because of that, I cannot have more than three dates with them. Which he said resulted in me getting yelled at a lot me getting cussed out a lot. And of course, it's because he was using them for, for his thing. In his mind, this was about the way that sex was supposed to be. And, and he said, at one point, he said, I found myself in, in the middle of the act wanting to say, I love you. And he said, it, I, I, said it, I almost said it, I, I acted like I was coughing because I, I didn't want to say, I love you. But it just felt so, in his words, natural to me. At the end of the Rumspringer, they actually gave themselves an extension on the Rumspringer for a couple more months, but at the end of it, Kurt and his young girlfriend come back together. And uh, spoiler alert, the relationship didn't survive. And he had this idea in his mind that, well, the relationship was already broken, and so I, you know, maybe this was just the way that we broke it. But he said that... He wanted to do something in the future, which is that if I ever do get married, that I want to put a seven-year time limit on it. And that at the end of seven years, that then we have to get married again. And Ira Glass, who's the host, who is, I don't know that he'd be a professing Christian. I'm not 100%, but you know, he was like, wait a minute, help me understand that. And, and the young man was like, well, that way we have, we can just say that, you know, we have to decide again. That, because rumspring, right? I'm coming, I have to decide one more time. And Ira kind of closes out the show saying, but that's, isn't that sad? That makes me sad to think that. Because what's sad about it is that part of what makes marriage what it is, is that she's not going to leave me. That, that, she, that, that we're going to push through this. That that's what marriage, and not everybody has experienced that, and I totally acknowledge that, that not everybody has experienced that, but that's what makes it, because his exact words were, because you know, there's seasons I go through where we hate each other. but I know that she's not leaving. And there's something about that. that, And what Ira is saying is written on the core of all of our hearts, which is that it wasn't meant to be that way. Genesis 2 is how it was meant to be. That for this reason, that will a man leave his parents and be with, in the words, with our very specific with his wife. Jesus would quote that. Paul would quote that. That there's something supernatural. Paul calls it a mystery 
about marriage. That over again in our society, and boy, the way, the way the, this young man talked about the more he was with somebody, the easier it got. Except that he didn't survive his relationship and what he's really experiencing is that the spirit, that the, the, the two becoming one was being broken apart and the broken miracle of marriage was what he was experiencing was it was just not the way it was meant to be. God meant that in this imagery of marriage in a way. And it's inextricably linked with sex. Your marriages. It's the bond that was meant to hold you together. And I say that because in our world, the Western culture, there was a, um, an article that Donna shared with me this week. Uh, I don't read charisma news much, but this article really, really sums it up. There was a, uh, some research done on christianmingle.com. Are you familiar with christianmingle.com? Hey, buddy met his wife there. Not farmersonly.com? No. <laughs> I mean, we're near College Grove, so you, gotta be, you, know, you can't be sure. They researched 18 to 59, ages 18 to 59. They asked, would you have sex before marriage? 61% said yes. Christians. Now, of course, older people are shocked. Younger people are like, well, of course we would. How would I know if I like her? How would I know not? Because we're letting the culture inform our our conduct on, on sexual relationships. And he talks about being a sexual atheist, which is basically saying that Jesus does not get to inform anything about me and my life with sexuality. And you think, well, that's that's that, but then this uh, Nadia Bulls Weber, which I've, I've quoted her before, her book on the sexual revolution, and in her book she's saying that, look, uh, pornography ain't so bad as long as it's ethically sourced. That, I'm, you think I'm making that up. But listen, listen, that sounds nuts, but it's the logical conclusion of changing all the definitions. It's, it's just, that's just the logical conclusion of it. And if you've been around pornography, and I, I'm not gonna ask people to raise their hands, but in any room like this, 20 to 30% of the men have struggled with it. Teenagers, 20 to probably 80% of you guys are struggling with it right now. And if it wasn't such a big deal, then you'd just stop it. But you can't. Because there's a hook, there's an addiction. It's an epithume, which is what Romans 6 calls it. It's different. The, the, Jesus never meant it that way outside of the boundaries of it. And so it's wrecking marriages, it's wrecking families, it's wrecking lives because it was not meant to be that way. The imagery of marriage was important. And Jesus is saying, I'm the bridegroom, I'm the guy, that's, I'm God, and the image that I wanted for you, the reason I believe that the definition of marriage has been under attack for so long is Satan knows that that's the picture that's supposed to be the one that inspires us to God. So if I rip it apart, whether it's in an abusive relationship and some of you have survived that and are surviving maybe that, now you have a messed up picture of God and Satan's like, that's what I wanted. I want your kids to have a messed up image of God and so I'm gonna do it this way. Bam, blow in between. But here, I will say this, even if you're in a situation where your image of a marriage has been wrecked, the only reason you know it's wrecked is because you know there is a picture out there that it was supposed to be like. It was Genesis. 
It was, I don't know where he stops and she ends. Did you know that Eve didn't even get a name until after the fall? Not because she wasn't worth it, it's because she was so worth it, so equal with Adam, that they were one flesh. That was how it was meant to be. And it was after the garden, after the fall, he gives her his name Eve because now she's never gonna be equal to him again and there's gonna be, she's gonna cry out for his place. It's a cry that's still happening this side of heaven. That feeling that women that you've got of that I've been pushed down and it's been un, uh, unequal is actually true. You're not inaccurate on that. It's part of the fall. And in heaven, there will be no male, no female, because the equality that God meant will be there again. And this time we cry out for it. And men, we've got to work for it and be aware of it in our lives, knowing that we'll always fall short, knowing that we'll never get it right perfectly. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't get it right imperfectly and keep trying. The imagery of a wedding, the imagery of a marriage with the festivity of a wedding. The festivity of it, he talks about wine. And I'm telling you, not two buck chuck, this is the good stuff. Because of celebration. Nobody's celebrating, like the, the, Jack and Diane, John Mellencamp, nobody threw a party for that. Okay, Nobody's in, in the back seat, like nobody's saying, woo, yeah, I love you for now. Like, we'll throw a party for that. That's not what was worth celebrating. What's worth celebrating is till death do us part. We're going to throw a party for that. And you know what? You know who threw good parties? Jewish wedding people. If you were a Jewish wedding planner, popular. <laughs> because they partied for days. Because it was celebrating till death do us part. It was celebrating what was meant to be. And he uses wine, this picture of new wine, not just wine, new wine. Remember in Acts 2, verse 13, they were, they're not drunk as you suppose, but he's like, what'd they say? These guys are drunk on new wine, this ESV. Not just any wine, new wine. That's how joyful they were. That's what Jesus is saying, that this picture that the Pharisees brought of rules and regulations and policies and procedures, that's not a party. The party is what Jesus is about to do in their lives. The wine, what did Jesus hold up on the last night of his life? A glass of wine. Said, this is my blood shed for you. And one day, at the marriage supper of the Lamb, there will be a glass of wine held up to celebrate the wedding of us to him. And it'll be a party because a party that was meant to be celebrated, the exclusivity of marriage, the intimacy of marriage, the durability of marriage is all a picture of why we would celebrate the perfection of what God has given us. And of course, there's the pageantry of a wedding. He talks about the new garment. You don't want to take out your old dress and just try to put some new patches on it. By the way, my daughter got married uh, this summer in this building, and I'm showing you this picture because we spent a lot of money on this wedding, so I just want someone to know. <laughs> I just want somebody to know. <sighs> she looks so beautiful that day. She looks beautiful every day because, candidly, I mean, she, you know, the gene pool of Darren or the gene pool of Shannon, she rolled, uh, she did good. She rolled snake eyes. <laughs> 
I mean, that could have turned out a lot differently for her, let's be honest. But you know what I know about weddings? I've done a few. Every bride is beautiful that day because they're putting on the makeup. What did Jeremiah 2 say? Would a wife, would a, would a bride forget her ornaments? Would she forget her clothes and her new stuff? No. Would her father wear a fishing shirt? No. <laughs> He'll put a tie on. <laughs> and there's a pageantry in this of his righteousness. See, in our context, the Pharisees were putting the old, they're the old trying to put new wine into the old way. And what was the Pharisees' way? Pharisees' way was, if God is good, then people who are just trying their best, like you and I, that God will be happy with that. That was pharisaical math. And it's the same religion of the entire Middle Tennessee and most of America, probably all. If God is good, then if I do my best, then he'll be happy with me. And in the words of Alistair Begg, if that's true, then why is Jesus on the cross? Because Pharisees say, if I do it right, then he'll be happy with me. If I do it right, I'm sorry, I won't make you keep looking at that. Um, if I do it right, then Jesus will be happy with me. And I gotta tell you, most of the self-help books that you guys are buying right now is just old wineskins and you're trying to put a Jesus patch on it instead of the other way around. Your sexuality and the holes that you've broken in your own hearts because you've violated these things and God loves you and he forgives you, but I'm, I'm putting this old way of doing things and I'm trying to put a Jesus patch on the hole that ripped in my heart because of it. And Jesus is saying, you've got to throw away the whole thing. I want to give you a new dress. I want to give you a new clothes, new you know what made the Pharisees angry, and it might make you as angry, I don't know, is they worked really, really hard. And they were still just a guest at the wedding. You can work hard all day long and still stay a guest. It's only when you say, I'm letting go of the rope. I'm letting the gospel come into my life and say that it's not my righteousness. Isaiah says that my righteousness, my best day, my best self-help book is filthy rags. It's not saying that you are filthy rags. It's just saying that's the, like that's the, the comparison. It's just not enough for you, for me. But I love Colossians 1.22 because he talks about putting on his righteousness that I'm putting on you. I'm going to, without spot or blemish, I think it's Ephesians 5 when it says, husbands love your wives like Christ loves the church. Okay, when I do that with my wife and I'm, and I'm doing it in the way that Jesus created it, I'm preaching a sermon to my children and to everybody around me because Christ loves the church in a way where he serves the church. He doesn't like hammer down on them. But he says that, so that I can present her as a radiant bride without splot, splot, spot or blemish. It's all this picture of what Christ wants to do and the reason that the picture of marriage was so important because he had this picture he wanted for us to see that on that day that that's what we will be. And here's the thing. What did he say in Jeremiah 2? Uh, would she forget her or if, uh, her uh, jewelry and her makeup? I, you, but you've forgotten me. He's saying, I'm your righteousness. I'm your white dress. I am your perfection. Put me on. 
The pageantry of the wedding is perfect for us because I could never get there on my own. And is God mean because he's saying that or is he being loving because he's just telling us the truth? You can try it any which way but loose, but you'll never get there this way. That's what the Pharisees, the law was that they're gonna, it was like a measuring stick to show that they're not gonna get on the ride. You know what I'm talking about at the theme parks? Remember being little and you go up and I'm not as tall as Winnie the Pooh or whatever and I'm too short to get on the ride? (laughs) And Jesus throws a booster seat in of him and puts us in and now I'm tall enough and I can go on the ride. He puts the white dress on you and your perfection is from him. And listen to me and listen very, very closely because you can hear all of this and think, well, that's great because I've screwed this up already, so now what? I'm divorced and I'm remarried. I'm divorced and I've been unfaithful. I'm in the middle of being unfaithful right now. Okay, That could be happening in any one of these stories in here. And is God's grace big enough for that? It's not a trick question. Would, would, you, would he come back? He's saying, yeah, ask it in Jeremiah too. What if she leaves me? What if she's awful? What if these, and you being the she in that story, should I welcome her home? Yes. Yeah. Jesus would actually say that the only uh, reason for a divorce that is a reason, there's a lot of debate, and I think people have used this as a hammer to beat people over the head with, but you missed the headline. Jesus says that the only acceptable reason for divorce, according to law, whatever it was, was infidelity, okay? Now think about that for a second. He just gave himself the out for you. And he didn't take it. (laughs) Isn't that worth celebrating? Is he big enough to forgive you young men right now? And you, you don't have to look at me. I'm not going to call you out, but the young men that right now, I mean, when I, was, when I was your age, if we were to get to pornography, we had to stumble on some guy's stash in the woods. And all you guys are laughing because everybody happened to everybody. I don't know who these guys were or where their stashes went, but It happened. His grace is big enough. It's big enough for that too. He wants you to be free of it. And you can be, by the way. He loves you so much. He wants you to come back home. You're like, yeah, but Darren, I did it. I swear I'm never going to do that again starting right now. Okay, tomorrow. Starting tomorrow, I'm never doing that again. Okay, next week... That's just a modern version of Romans. Why do I do the things I don't want to do? I'm not supposed to do this, but I keep doing it. I'm supposed to do that, and I don't do it. Why? Paul Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, says, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin? And I love Romans 8, verse 1, therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, And here's the message of that with Paul. Keep the struggle going. There's this idea of struggling with sin where it gets extremely dangerous and extremely, I don't know, is when you tap out and say, I can't help it. I, I must go to the other gods. I can't go. I'm just, I can't help myself. I'm born this way. I can't, I'm running this. I have to go to the pornography. I have to go to, with these other things in my life. And 
That's where it gets dangerous, but as long as I'm in the struggle, as long as I'm Romans 6, right? I'm just saying, I'm because he loves you enough that he'll forgive you 70 times 7. I don't I, Someone do the math on that? That's a lot. And it's a Jesus statement saying, you are safe in my hands. Keep up the struggle. Keep up the fight. Take off the old man. Flee fornication. All those words. And when you don't, go back to the cross again. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because he looks at you and he doesn't see the nasty. He sees the beauty of his righteousness. It was the only way it was ever going to happen. We said it earlier. The gospel is very simple. You're so bad that nothing short of the death of the Son of God would save you. And you're so loved that he did it gladly. He looks on you, psalmist says, and he remembers your dust. He looks on his sympathy. He knows you are humans. He was one of you. He understands it. And he is great in mercy. Bountiful in mercy. His kindness leads us to repentance. And Jesus was saying to these Pharisees, put away the calculator. It's not about math. It's about marriage. I'm restoring this picture to the Pharisees. I'm restoring it to the disciples and I'm restoring it to you that there was a picture that I had in the garden of how it was meant to be and how it will one day again be. And until that day, as Jesus people, what Elisa Childers wrote in her piece on the Gospel Coalition on this uh, book by this lady is that our sexual revolution is to say that Maybe God had it right in the garden. Counterculture is to throw our fists in the sky and say, we will not, not on my watch. I'm gonna preach whatever's going on around me. And look, you know what sinners are supposed to do? Sin. That's what, I, but for me and my house, we serve the Lord because we get to preach a story. Because at some point, listen, in the 60s, there was this thing called the sexual revolution. You know what happened in the 70s? The Jesus movement. And you know why it happened? Because the bills came due. <laughs> and Steinem wasn't right. And a bunch of hippies got Jesus and a revival spread across the country. You think that can't happen again? Because the bills are coming due on our revolution, our truth revolution, our post you know, truth, but the bills are coming due and everybody's suddenly saying, well, wait a minute, but that's actually, there actually must be right and wrong. There actually must be truth and false. The bills are coming due. And I want everybody that, have, that I can't think of a better thing for our church than to be a safe place for people who are suddenly going, oh, wait a minute, that, that isn't what I thought it was gonna be. I've heard it said, and it's probably true, that if you don't have the kind of people hanging out with you that Jesus had, you might not be preaching what Jesus preached. Love and grace and reception. He doesn't get down and involve himself in it, but he certainly wasn't afraid of it. Oh gosh, it's 1220. Stand to your feet. I apologize. <laughs> yeah, fourth service. That'll be in my recliner. Hey, by the way, mark your calendars, April 6th through the 13th. We're going to make some announcements. God has given us some clarity on where we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to, where we're going with this. On Monday, we had to say goodbye to uh, another group of homeschoolers. 
I'll post the video of them praying for us. This room was full every Monday, full of young people. We're gonna, uh, I've got, I mean, we got some clarity. I'm gonna start, I'll get that word out to you, but just know that Jesus has got some plans here. So, Heavenly Father, bride and the bridegroom, this picture that you created for me, I'm so grateful for it. Lord, I fall short of it, but I only know that I fall short of it because you've given me a standard of what it was supposed to be. That's the picture And how, Lord, even in this room, I know that there's going to be single moms who were warriors fighting for their children. They they wanted to be in the Genesis 2 world, but they got sucker punched by the Genesis 3 one. I pray that you'll be with them. Empower them. Teach us as a church, Lord, how to surround them. For young people who are questioning right now, Lord, and and the culture is informing them, Lord, would you show them that the the culture isn't doing a very good job of it? Which culture do we choose? How can I find truth? Lord, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And I pray that that truth becomes real inside of all of us, that you're not angry, that you're not. (laughs) Your anger was satisfied on the cross. It's, oh, you love us. You're not mad at me. (sighs) Jesus, would you be with us? You're so good and you're so kind. Even for those of us that don't know if I can believe it yet, I can't quite. You're just, come home. The same, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the story of you is coming for us. You would climb any mountain for us, including the mountain of Calvary. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys.